Welcome to the EMS on the Mountain podcast, a show for those interested in austere and wilderness medicine. This podcast provides insight into the unique aspects and challenges of bringing modern EMS into wilderness and austere environments. Giver. Indeed, Mike is a giver. All right, folks, uh, welcome back to another episode of EMS on the Mountain. As usual, you've got two meatheads who are both tired because they've been on duty for the previous 24 some hours. Yeah, we're both punchy as hell, so enjoy. But here we are, sober and bringing you delicious content for your listening enjoyment. Okay, sober. anyway. Jesus. All right, let's do this. Okay, what are we talking about two? tonight, Sean? Or today? Tonight. Or... Tonight, this evening, today's episode is, uh, this may or may not be a short or mid-sized topic. We're going to talk about the use of online medical control slash teleconsults in wilderness EMS. Not the sexiest of topics. Super amazing, exciting but, thing to talk um, about tonight. I, uh, In my dealings with my urban friends, uh, I've brought up a couple of cases you and I have had where we have called the doc and said, hey man... <laughs> We need to kind of step outside the normal realm for some stuff. And then we, we want adult permission to do this thing. I would like to give this person all the ketamines. <laughs> yes, which yes. Was, was probably one of the most famous ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe we'll tell that story just as because it was funny and frustrating at the same time. Um, mm. But I noticed that uh, a lot of urban folks who have even taken like Knowles and other provider like wilderness classes, like, you know, to become wilderness EMTs for whatever things they do. Really never thought of the fact that folks who do things in the woods or remote environments also can call physicians for a little advice now and again. And so I thought, you know, let's let's make a quick little episode about this. Just talk about some of the core concepts surrounding using online medical control or a teleconsult, whatever you want to do. Uh, just because people may just not be as familiar with this is a thing, even in the wilderness. Yeah, it turns out you can do it in the woods too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't have to do it at home alone. All right, Mike. So uh Mike, why sir would us hmm. amazing that's wilderness a, providers that's a good have question. To even rely on online medical control. Well, quite frankly, as much as we'd like to be prepared for all the things all the time, sometimes we're not. And it turns out that in theory, doctors are smarter and better at their job of knowing some wacky-ass shit when it comes <laughs> to some uncommon medical condition than, say, a paramedic. Well, and I think a good thing here, too, is not only calling, which is usually a doctor, most places it's a physician. You might, actually, depending on your program, you might get a PA or a nurse practitioner, too. You might, you but it's usually a doctor. It's a, it's kind of a, and I think we talked about it a little bit later, but that doctor also has actor, access to his doctor Google at his desk mm-hmm. that he's taking your call from. And that's and Chad GPT as well. Definitely has <laughs> access to Chad GPT. Get his charting done quicker. Yeah, for sure. So it turns out that we don't know everything off the top of our head. And whatever resource materials we may have brought with us may not suffice. So the first obvious reason is the doctor has access to more education stuff in his head, and he has access to the Dr. Googles 
or whoever you're calling has access to the Dr. Googles that could potentially help you out. So I'll sum that up by saying sometimes you got to call online medical control because it just turns out that uh, you don't quite know and you want to phone a friend. (laughs) Absolutely. And then the other big one is what, what Sean, I think, would title going outside of the box. There are, if if you're a skilled practitioner of medicine, you will eventually hit a moment. I, I will tell you about one that happened to me just the other day um, where you go, huh, well, I don't have a protocol for that particular ailment, but I know that, for example, that food bowl is stuck in grandma's throat could be assisted with some glucagon. Mm. And I don't have orders for that, so I had to call the doctor and say, hey, dog, grandma's got food in her throat. I'd like to hit her with some glucagon on the way to the hospital so that she's not sitting here in pain. If you're going to use, if you want to use drugs for off-label or out-of-protocol use, you obviously need to talk to a doctor and get daddy to say yes, or mommy, or they, them, to say yes. But you can't do it yourself. So that's obviously going to... that's going to require an online medical consult. Also, if you want to vary your protocol, uh, we don't have, I'm trying to think. I, I called once because I wanted to give a woman a drip over time for a thing that we didn't have a standing order for. Ironically, mm-hmm. the doctor told me no, but it would have been in the patient's best interest. Uh, the doctor was actually right. He was like, dude, you're going to be bouncing down the trail for 12 hours. There's no way you're going to be able to maintain a consistent trip rate. Yeah. Uh, but if I'd had a pump, it would have been useful. Oh, yeah. So variations in protocol, deviating from the standard. And quite honestly, it's been my experience. We don't call medical control super often. But I would say as a ratio of calls, we call medical control more often in the back country than I do in the front country because that's where I'm doing mm. the extended care and the nursing type care and the I need to make sure this is cool. I'll, I'll add another nugget here. Sean and I are pretty confident that our medical director, if we can get him on the phone, it's going to be like, yeah, yeah, do what's good for the patient. Like you don't have to stop at 100 mics of fentanyl. Manage that pain for the next 12 hours. Make sure they're <laughs> good, right? But there's no written protocol that says we can administer, you know, 400, 500 micrograms of fentanyl over 12 hours. So you have to call a doctor and get permission to do that. So those are some of the more common events. You may also, you may have access to skills in your brain that you don't, uh, you don't have a standing order for, or your doctor has not given a standing order for. And again, I mean, this is pretty cookie cutter stuff, though I would argue that you know, if you're trying to do a finger thoracostomy in the like a traditional EMS setting and you don't have orders for it, you probably should have just darted them and driven to the hospital. But, you know, something like a thoracostomy, which I have had training on, could be really useful for somebody that, you know, had a tree fall on them in the middle of the woods and has a penetrating injury. Um, and I may have to call a doc and be like, hey, man, I know how to do this. I know where my landmarks are. Like, please say yes. And they're probably going to say no. But I can hope. <laughs> I can pray. I mean, I can't think of any others. You got any other obvious ones, Sean? Uh, no, I think this would, and again, this is going to be jurisdiction, agency dependent, but the big ones I think really revolve around, I'd say some simple ones, dislocation reductions, uh, where Mike and I mm. practice our wilderness stuff, we're allowed to do dislocation reductions. But as some standing places, orders. We're allowed to as, do it as, as standing, standing orders, orders yeah. right? <laughs> Some yep. places are not, even though within maybe within the, technically your 
state or wherever your scope of practice allows it, your current jurisdiction says no. Another one, I think a lot of the more common ones are going to be airway related, like perhaps a surgical crike. Mm -hmm. You might have intubation within your standing protocols. You might maybe have a, a needle crike, which I'm not a huge fan of for especially wilderness for a lot of reasons. But you I'm know, sitting here shaking my head, but you all can't see that. No, that's yeah. a bad idea. Yeah. yeah. And, and so maybe a surgical crike is really where you need to go for some advanced airway management. And as a paramedic, it's within your scope, but that maybe that particular agency is like, doesn't allow it. And that might be like, Hey, I'm also, you know, released paramedic in this jurisdiction. I'm, this is a skill that I've been trained on that I've, you know, whatever performed. Daddy, may I please cut this man's throat open and put a tube in it so that I can keep him alive and not let him die. And they'll right? probably so, say no. They'll be like, and, yeah, yeah, die. And cool. yeah, they may say no. Um, yeah. And we'll, and we'll get to convincing the doc to give you what you want a little bit later, but I think those are probably the bigger skill areas that most people would have to call and ask to do that wouldn't be part of a standing protocol for most places. But again, that's who knows what you're going to get. Um, yeah, I don't. So, yeah. I consider I mean, calling online medical control kind of like going to Vegas. You just never know what the end, the outcome is going to be. This is true. You could go home with more money than you came with, or you could leave with a case of the herpes and missing pants. You just don't know. Uh, <laughs> surprisingly enough, Mike's never come with me on a trip to Vegas. He knows the stories. <laughs> I'm aware. So and It wasn't herpes, it was gonorrhea. My bad. <laughs> and I'm kidding. I was just asking for a medical, you know, complete medical curiosity, for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right, Bon. Well... Are there different sorts of, uh, well, are, uh, we're, we're, yeah, <laughs> we're both punchy tonight. I think some of okay, others. So I, I think we've covered, uh, why so we what, would do it. What, yeah, what, 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 what might lead towards? Here? Yeah, right. So you've heard us reference online medical control and online medical direction, et cetera. There's a lot of different variations in that term and teleconsults. What's the difference? Essentially, nothing right they are both you as a field provider at whatever level calling to a physician and asking permission uh, to do a certain thing and sometimes it's not necessarily permission sometimes you just want uh, the doc to agree that yes that is a good course of action you should do that because i've called personally a couple of times when I've been preparing to sedate a patient based on some other things that they've ingested going outside of my protocol and wanting to use ketamine vice versed, um, just because <laughs> different drugs acting different ways. So I think it's a matter of semantics, essentially there's between online medical control vice a teleconsult. Um, depending on where you're at, you could end up talking to just a generic physician on a call line. Right, you just call this number for online medical control and you say, I need to talk to a physician and the nearest available doctor jumps on and says, what you need. There are places that have dedicated consult lines. Uh, this happens with a lot of uh, agencies that provide dedicated, like a lot of contract support for EMS things, wilderness or remote EMS or medicine to, you know, dedicated like expeditions remote mm -hmm. site activity coverage, uh, like working offshore or like cruise ship nurses and medics, 
right? You might have a very dedicated consult line, like we use this service. And if you need online medical control or to do a teleconsult with a physician, you call this number and you get a, you're going to get a random doc. You're going to get the one that's been assigned for that duty period, but it's a different than just calling a hospital and asking to speak to any ED physician. And then you might have a program set up where you talk to your specific agency doctor, like you work for a wilderness EMS agency and you actually have a physician or two that are assigned to your team and you call them directly. Uh, and they might be on some sort of duty rotation as well, yeah, but that's how it's gonna work. So essentially it's the same thing. You're still calling a physician, uh, normally a physician. I have heard about some programs using, and this is for like kind of like dedicated consult lines for certain things using uh, PAs. Uh, but normally that's not the case. It's almost exclusively physicians just because of the nature of the work, but you might be using a PA or a nurse practitioner, depending where you're at for certain things. Um, could happen. Unlike, yeah, like, could happen. like I said, the standard is usually a physician, uh, but just if you have a place and it is a PA or a nurse practitioner or equivalent for our friends that listen overseas, don't be shocked in that. If, if they've been given the official, hey, yeah, you're good to do this, then there you go. Uh, so even oh, if I did, now we're going to leave it. <laughs> I don't want to get JB wound up. All right. Well, so, so how do you do it? Yeah, so this brings us to the process piece. And this is how you got to sell it. And how do we sell it, Mike? Well, we sell it first by saying, excuse me, sir or ma'am. Please be aware we are deep into the woods and it will be hours until we get to definitive care. Are you copying me? What's that line from, from, uh, what was it? Say, uh, saving, not saving private Ryan. No, from uh, black Hawk down. Are you receiving me? Like, no. please doc understand that I'm not asking for, Hey, I want to give them a touch of Versed and I'll be at your door in 20 minutes. This could be, you know, yeah. six to 12 hours. <clears throat> I will strongly advise anybody doing wilderness work to lead with that mm -hmm. because otherwise you'll get to the hospital and they will say, Oh, broken arm. Just go ahead and put him in the lobby. And then <laughs> and my partner will kindly remind the nurse in the lobby that this patient has had approximately 600 micrograms of fentanyl and the doctor or the nurse, excuse me, the nurse said, and to which I quote, how the hell is she conscious? <laughs> it is not often, even for, for you know wilderness places and all of those good things most of the patients that are coming out of a recreational area or a more wilderness environment that requires an extra extended extrication time frame are not going to some specialty clinic in the middle of yosemite they're going to eventually you're going to end up in a regional hospital of some sort or community hospital of some sort and the large majority of people they see there do not have uh they haven't been under the care of EMS or, or uh, wilderness providers for 12 hours. It's just not the norm. So yeah. you need to be upfront with that on the phone because they're busy and they're running around and they're half listening and they need to understand that you're asking for orders for an extended period of time. And uh, otherwise you might get an order for like, yeah, go ahead and give them a dose of, and then you're in the, yeah. you know, standing on a rock trying to make a phone call in half an hour because you need more, you need another permission for another dose of. So, lead with that. It's typically preferred, if possible, to either use a cell phone or a sat phone. Uh, this is my own personal bias, but 
now that it's since it's my podcast and I'm recording it, I can tell you that my bias is the right bias. A a a duplex communication methodology, a telephone versus a mm. simplex, which is a radio. I just find this much better for calling and giving uh, giving reports and, and getting orders because you can get cut off. Or if you forget to mention something, they can say, hey, wait, what about blah, blah, blah. It's a conversation. It's not, hey, you, it's me, blah, a bunch of information, and then they forgot what it is you were talking about. But sometimes you got to learn to do it on the radio. So if you have to do it on the radio, uh, short, concise, broken communications so that if they want to intercede or ask questions or get other information, they can do so. This is really uh, beneficial because you're not just asking for permission to do something. Secondarily, we are building confidence in the doctor we are talking to that we know what we're talking about and we're able to have this conversation effectively. If, uh, if they don't have faith in what in, in your ability to talk about these things, they're not going to give you orders to do things if you sound like you don't know what you're talking about. So have a plan. I advocate, you know, if you get a complex case, write down notes before you make a phone call. They're going to help you with your charting later anyway. And quite frankly, it's just a good idea to make it seem like you are smart, even if you're not. I always recommend that you know what you're asking for. What I mean by this is I don't ever call a doc when I'm asking for orders for something, especially if it's an off-label use or a non-protocol use of a drug. I don't ever call and say, hey, doc, I want to give this woman a drug. I will call the doctor and say, I'm with a you know, 75-kilogram patient. I'm requesting orders to give them X number of milligrams per kilogram equaling this dosage so that they understand that you know how to do the math, you know, understand that the math is right, and that you're not going to overdose the patient. It's just not everybody does it, but it's my way of just giving them a little confidence that I know what I'm talking about before they have to ask questions. If you want to do anything else, if you want to do a, a wacky procedure, be ready to speak to the procedure and the, mm -hmm. the preparations you plan to do for it, right? You know, I'll, I'm going to make something up here. Hey, Doc, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this woman's kidney out because it turns <laughs> out it's, it's gone bad, right? Obviously, we'd never do that. Please don't take kidneys out. But I would lead with, hey, Doc, uh, I'm, I'm on scene with a 43-year-old you know, woman. She fell, broke a kidney. Kidneys become septic. I need to remove the kidney. I have already identified my landmarks at, you know, this spot and this spot. The the portion of the body's already been betadine. She's had, you know, 100 mics of fentanyl. And if possible, we're going to RSI her using, you know, yada, 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 yada. Give them the entire picture of what you plan to do as detailed as possible without being too detailed. Right? This doesn't need to take 20 minutes. But give them a curt, clean picture of what you plan to do. They're going to be much more apt to... uh to say yes. And then frankly, I always follow it up at the end with another reminder that I'm in the woods and it's going to be 10 to 12 hours before uh, they're going to see the patient and quite possibly they'll be off shift by then. So they should, you know, pass on to whoever's coming on that eventually I'm coming to the doctor place. <laughs> if you sound like you're confused or you're in over your head, they're, they're really, really going to be reticent to say yes. 
right? Docs don't give orders to paramedics asking for stuff when they don't feel confident that that paramedic knows what they're doing. Because the minute they say yes, it's their medical license on the line for whatever damages you, uh, uh, I almost said incur, but you don't incur the damages, the patient does. So whatever damages you convey to the patient, you're, uh, you're going to be on the hook. Well, the doc's going to be on the hook, and they're going to be uh, cautious about saying yes. And this kind of this does go back to knowing your drugs, right? Knowing your pathophysiology. If you can speak to the contraindications and what you've done to mitigate problems with a medication that you're asking for permission on, that goes a long way because that that tells the physician that you understand the implications of what you're doing, and you've thought through the problem, and you've come up with a pretty reasonable solution. They're really not generally going to say no if you sound like you know what you're doing and you've thought through the problem. And if you can prove that, I think you'll be good. Go ahead. Now, I was going to say, I think that is probably the most important piece about any use of online medical control, right, is you have to have the plan and you have to be able to articulate that you know what you're doing with that plan. Uh, the story Mike talked about earlier about we called up wanting to do a ketamine drip for essentially long-term pain management for this woman that we we're having to do a carry out with and laid it out just like Mike said, it's like, you know, this age, this weight, this is what we want to, how much we want to give this, is how much we want to drip over, you know, this is the drip set we're using. And so it'll be mm -hmm. this many drips over this to maintain for this period. And the doc was like, yep, that's a great plan. However, and he was concerned about, you know, not being able to truly maintain a drip to maintain accurate dosing of the patient. Dosing. And, you know, and Mike and I had to agree. But at the same time, he said, cool, I'm not going to let you do that one. But if you haven't already given this drug, give her that and then do whatever else it is you need to do to keep her comfortable, which basically mm -hmm. was you can use all the fentanyls you can get your hands on, which is what we did, which is how that works. Which is what we did. ED with several hundred micrograms of fentanyl over several hours. But uh, that and we're givers. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so that's the thing. And that was, and this is a very senior physician we were talking to. And mm -hmm. he had the confidence that, you know, I mean, he's, he's met the both of us on a few occasions, several occasions, right? Mm -hmm. um, and he's comfortable with who we are and what we know. And we laid out the case and he was like, yep, that's, that's a good plan, but I'm a little concerned about this. So how about we just go with this? And it's like, uh, okay, yeah, we have to agree because he's not wrong. Yeah. Which is one of those reasons we'd like to get a hold of a pump for backcountry use just for that, those rare occasions. But, but it is, it's like, you have to know what you're talking about. Otherwise, yeah, you get those docs that are like, you know, yeah, just give another 50 mics of fentanyl and call me back in an hour. Like, yeah. Why? No. And in that particular environment, uh, cell service is spotty at best. So I had yeah. to secure orders because once we moved down the trail, we probably weren't going to have communications to talk to the yep. doctor again. Yeah. Yep. That's, that's a fact, right? Yep. All right. All right. All right. So where are we at now? Okay. So I think one of the last notes that I'm going to jump ahead now is okay. having a preset format handy, even if it's just a simple note card that has those key bits of information that you know you're going to need to relay to the doc, like your general stuff, right? So what are you going to have to give them? General patient info, general demographics. You don't have to go into where they grew up, their past medical history, unless it truly is pertinent to this particular need, right? 
So it's like mm -hmm. my patient has X problem, so I don't want to use this drug. So this is what I would like to do, right? So your general demographics, age, weight, sometimes gender. I mean, we always use gender. It can have an impact mm -hmm. on certain things, right? The general mechanism, like they fell, they broke this, or they are experiencing these symptoms, believe they are experiencing, you know, heat exhaustion, hypothermia, rhabdo, whatever it might be your current set of vitals, right? The thing you're trying to fix, because, you know, we've had patients like, especially, you know, out there in the wilderness, we've had several multi-systems trauma patients and we can't mm -hmm. fix everything. Like you have to identify the one thing that you're really trying to fix. Like, are you going for pain management or is this an airway thing? Whatever it is, that's what you need to be discussing, not just trying to, because if you already have adequate protocols that allow you to, do your airway management or your pain management, well, you don't need to go and ask a doctor for authorization to continue doing those, right? So the problem you're trying to treat, that's what you need to talk about, what your desired plan is, why you're calling them. Like, I want to administer a ketamine drip at this rate, at this dosing, uh, to take care of this problem. Cool. If you don't have that plan and you're just like, what should I do? He's gonna tell you, well, just uh, give them, you know, 50, 100 mics of fentanyl and get them here as quick as you can. And that's yep. when you have to remind them that, cool, that's going to be 10 hours. So that was a good point Mike brought up earlier, too, is like, you should lead with the, I am in the woods. I will not be there. The soonest I will see you is approximately 10 to 12 hours. Yeah. Because that gives them a very different frame of reference in their mind for what you need. You need to be prepared to answer the follow-on questions like, okay, uh, are you able to do this? Have you been able to do this? And if you don't know, it's like one of those things, like when you call a hospital on a stroke alert and it's like, what was their blood sugar? And you're like, uh, hang on. <laughs> right? and then you're like, oh, it's 18, man. I should treat that. Nah. <laughs> yeah. And then but the hospital like, already, oh, it's fine. Son of a bitch. Right. So you gotta, you gotta have already done your good assessments. You need to be ready to answer the questions because they might have some, uh, you gotta know what meds you've got available, which you should. Right. Um, because if he says, hey, uh, I don't like you using that drug, how about we administer some of this? You have to be able to go, I don't have any of that, which is why I asked for this. You could also preference the doc saying, like say you wanna use Epi for something and you wanna give maybe a bigger dose than normal. Maybe you don't have a protocol for uh, IV Epi for anaphylaxis and you wanna give some. So you gotta call the doc, right? You gotta let him know, hey, this is what I got. This is what my my concentrations are, we only have one 1,000 vials, but I want to give some cardiac push dose. Maybe that's not my protocol, right? So mm. it's like, all right. So you got to be prepared to do that and let them know that it's like, oh, how about we go some norepi? That'd be great. I'd love to do that one, but I don't have it. So how about just this one? So you got to know what you've got. Uh, Kit-wise, really, that might be, I'm probably most likely going to be airway stuff. Or you might have to remind them like, yeah, man, I don't have a life pack. I cannot pace them on the way down the hill. This is what I got. Yeah. So, also, they're dead if they need pacing on the hill. Just putting that out there. Yeah. Yeah, that might be a trick. But, hey, that's yeah. when that's when you're going to try and fly some dude. And you're going to go with him to get your life pack back. Because you've got a life pack yep. in the woods. Yep. For sure. Uh, and then once you've given them the spiel, a couple of things are going to happen. You're going to get, the doc's going to give you the, yes, that's great. He's going to give you something else. So your, your choice is either execute as directed, right? Like, nope, I don't want you to do the, the ketamine drip. 
but you know administer all the fentanyl you need um and he wasn't cavalier about just give her all you need trust us it's just he was very very confident in the new, our ability to make sure we didn't like overdose our patient in the woods on fentanyl um you got to be prepared to make a counter proposal like maybe what he wants to do is really with that you're a 15 20 minute transport mindset and you might have to remind him like hey that's great, but here I really need to keep my patient sedated or whatever for this much time. I would like to go with this instead and remind them that, hey, this is an extended um, carry out kind of situation. Always, maybe I'll always call with a plan, right? Or, always call with a plan. You disagree with what he says, you hang up and you go for balls and see what happens, right? At the end of the day, when somebody QAs your chart, um, this falls under the program that I like to use, do what your rank can handle. Uh, is that a thing? Back in my former life when guys were like, hey, can I go do this? I don't know, man, do what your rank can handle. If you think you can get away with that when you get caught, go for it, right? So if you think you're a good, strong paramedic with a very good reputation within your agency, and at the end of the day, if we'll say this was a generic doctor from the local emergency department that you spoke to and you disagreed with what he said and you went and did your own thing anyway, based on your original plan, you chat gets QA because you went off, off label there. You're outside the box as it were. If you can explain it to your, your doctor, your OMD and say, Hey doc, this is why I did it. This is where the conversation I had with online control. This is why I disagreed with it. And this is why I still did what I did for the patient. If you can justify that and your OMD, you know, your supervising physician basically for your agency, if he agrees with that, you're good. But if you're one of those paramedics that people look at and go, my God, how does he have a license? It's probably not going to go so well for you. So you got to think about that. Don't just go rogue because you think it's the right thing to do after you've already had a physician disagree with you. It doesn't always work out well in your favor. Oh, if you're looking to make a career change and then, you know, fuck it, YOLO. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> hey, whatever. Or is that a yopo? You only paramedic once. You only paramedic once. Yopo, or you only do it at that level once, and then you go work transport for the rest of your life because nobody else will uh, hire you. Wow, wow, that was that was that was direct. I like it. I like it. Well, I see what you're saying. I'm just saying, and this is nothing against transport medics. Like I'm contemplating going doing some of that myself just for something else to do as if I don't have enough extracurriculars. Yeah. My, um, my, my spouse said to me tonight and I quote, don't you think maybe you should do less things? So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. no. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, again, nothing against transport medics. I mean, absolutely vital service that is needed out there. Mike and I just have some experience with a couple of the local agencies where it's not the best. The requirement is heartbeat and a piece of paper with a current credential. Yeah, pretty much. Which is which is unfortunate because it gives the rest of people that work interfacility stuff a bad name. Some of them are really smart. Well, that's the thing is I know one another guy that we have. He is he's legit, like wicked smart, you know. But uh, and good yeah. solid provider knows his stuff. But it's just he kind of gets lumped in with the not so smart group. So. Yeah. Anyway, that'll, that'll enough on that. Anyway, all right. We digress again. That's all right. So that's 
that's really about it, right? So this was a short topic. It was just something that was kind of, I won't say caught me off guard, but nothing I'd really given a whole lot of thought about. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know that this is a topic that really requires a big deep dive into it either. So I think just this general yeah. overview, I think the key points like as Mike brought up, make sure you let them know where you are. If you're working hours deep in the woods or, hey doc, I'm on a gas oil platform, you know, 150 miles off the coast. It's going to be a couple of days. That changes the conversation. Right? I'm currently on Mount Hood. This is yeah. going to be a minute. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, if you haven't looked outside, the weather is not good. Right. So yeah. prefacing where you're at and your conditions is important. And again, as we've talked about in the last few episodes about how do we do all these things with and without technology, you got to know what you're doing. There's just no way around that. You, if you can't sell the doc that you're smart, you know what you're talking about. They're not going to give you what you want. So you got to know your no. stuff. Uh, I think that's all right. really all I have about on this, Mike. Anything else for us? No, man. I'm going to stop the recording right now. Excellent. All right, bye. If you have any questions or comments or ideas for show topics, you can send us an email at the show at emsonthemountain.com or hit us up on social media. We can be found on Facebook and Instagram at EMS on the Mountain, Twitter at EMS OTM, or you can engage with us and a whole community of wilderness EMS professionals at locals.com slash wilderness EMS. Until the next episode, thanks for joining us. And until we see you on the mountain, train hard, be safe, and do good work.